Whenever I hear this lesson from the first epistle of John, I think back to uh, a time in my life, January 1999, when I got a message that a good friend of mine had been gone into hospice care. He'd been ill for about a year and a half, and I felt a great sense of urgency to go back to Massachusetts and see him. So I took a quick flight. I got a red eye on a Thursday night, and I was going to come back on Saturday night so that I could do church services on Sunday and still see him. And so I took that red eye, and there's four things I remember about that trip. The first was that I ended up in the Detroit airport for uh, a day uh, because the East Coast was snowed in and I was stuck, wondering if I was going to get there or not. Uh, And then as things happened, I did get to see him and said it for a day and a half, for half a day, but it was much better than nothing. So that's the first thing I remember. The second is how beautiful the hospice was. It was this beautiful building, and he was in a beautiful room, and it had been snowing outside, and it was peaceful. Um, And uh, if you were going to die, it seemed about as good a place to die as, as you could have. The third thing that I remember is that my friend Bob, uh, who was a priest, was one of the funniest people I knew. And even when he was dying, he was still funny. Uh, So when his wife uh, took his oxygen out of one tank to put it in another so he could walk around, the second she took, pulled the oxygen out, he went like this, um, as if he were dying that second. And he just couldn't help himself. And then the fourth thing I remember is that he looked at me with his uh, very uh, bright blue eyes and just said, what do you think happens? As in, what do you think happens when you die? And even though we're both priests and we've both known each other for 30 years, um, I wasn't really ready for that question. And I said, well, I, I uh, I think we lose everything that we have. We lose all of our loved ones, every, everything about life we lose, and at the same time, every veil that is between us and God is lifted. And uh, so I said something like that. And Bob looked at me with those eyes and said, I think it's more. I think it's what it says in the first epistle of John. We become like him. When we die, we become like him. And I think about that passage that says, you know, we are children of God now. That is what we are now. And what we will be, what we will become, is Christ. And in the early church, there was a theological formulation that talked about why God became human. And it said simply that God became human so that we could become divine. Now, that sounds really to me more like an incarnation message than an Easter message. And uh, unless you've been asleep for a long time, this is not Christmas. Uh, We are now in the Easter season. And I remember all the way back to seminary, I took a class and we read four books about Jesus. One from the vantage point of the incarnation, one from the vantage point of his life, one from the crucifixion, and one from the resurrection. And I still remember that Depending on which book you read, you got a different view of who Jesus was and what it would be, what it would mean to be like Jesus. And in this Easter season, we we get very few stories about the resurrection. Um, it kind of moves on. You get one story of the empty tomb, and then maybe a couple of Jesus appearing to his disciples, and then that's about it. And uh, but the lesson from the Gospel of Luke today is a lot like the lesson from the Gospel of John last week 
Um, Jesus greets his disciples with the word peace. Uh, there are doubts about things, and they have to touch his wounds. They have to touch him to know that it's really him. But what's interesting about the risen Christ is that he, he doesn't continue the ministry that Jesus had before he died. He doesn't heal anybody. Once Jesus is raised from the dead, he doesn't heal anybody. He doesn't teach anything new. He doesn't forgive anybody for anything. He's just been dead. He doesn't raise anybody from the dead. The only ministry that the risen Christ has is to minister to his disciples with their post-traumatic stress and to get them ready for their new life. And we hear about that new life when we, in that story in Acts when Peter is speaking, and he's speaking boldly. And you have to wonder, is this the same guy who was afraid, you know, who three times denied that he knew Jesus because he was afraid, and now he's no longer afraid? He's a profile in courage. And that's, you know, it seems to be this incredible transformation of Peter, not just of Jesus. But when I think of that word courage, I think back to a, a, a clergy conference where I heard Desmond Tutu in 1984. And it was before Tutu had won the Nobel Peace Prize, so it was before he was famous. And someone asked him, you know, it was a time when uh, the government of South Africa was persecuting the South African Council of Churches, of which he was a leader. And he had received death threats, and he, so he's threatened with prison, he's threatened with death. And someone said, how do you have the courage to go on? And Tutu said, it's not courage, it's conviction. And so what Peter really demonstrates is not courage, but conviction. And the whole book of Acts is filled. It is long, one long profile of conviction after another. And, and anything Jesus does in the Gospels, the disciples, Peter, Paul, the others, seem to do even better. They preach like Jesus preached. They heal as Jesus healed people. They raise people from the dead. The book of Acts is an image of what, what life would be like if we were all just like Jesus. But the early church isn't just like that. If you read Paul's epistles, you can see that from the beginning, Christians have had crazy ideas and done terrible things. And so as we look around at people who call themselves Christians in our society these days who are superstitious and selfish, violent and greedy, we have to know that Christians have been kind of crazy from the beginning. We've always been both people who practice profiles in conviction and other people who really, really fail. Just like the, the Bible tells us a story that from the beginning human nature has been messed up, so the New Testament tells us for, from the start there have been dummies in Christian clothing, and that's just the way it is. Now the first epistle of John is a little bit between Acts and Paul. Um, it chides uh, people, but it also encourages them. And uh, this, this letter that is, you know, often called the, the a letter to the community of the beloved disciple um, is, is a, a, a letter that tries to convey this is how we live. This is who we are. This is how we live. This is what we want to become. Uh, there was a term in uh, the Middle Ages for Christian communities that we were all supposed to be schools of charity. And charity, of course, in Latin means love. So every church is supposed to be a place where we learn how to love. Every monastery, every congregation, every Bible study, however we gather together. So it's not just that we're members of a church. We're really enrolled in a school of charity. And you don't graduate from a school of charity with a degree in reality denial or a degree in bigotry. 
Uh, you know, and that's really what so many, so much of what look, you know, people say as Christian these days is, you know, reality denial and bigotry. Well, that's not what a school of charity would teach you. But of course, not only don't, don't we graduate with that kind of degree, we don't graduate at all. We are children of God now, but we are always seeking to become, to be more like Christ. And our churches are seeking to become more like schools of charity. In the early 20th century, there was an English woman named Muriel Lester, a great woman, an activist, a friend of, of Mahatma Gandhi. And in the early 20th century, she went around England saying that if churches don't have solutions to the real problems of life, that they should close. Now today, uh, churches are closing right and left. And uh, not only are churches closing right and left, but sometimes we think, well, it's just great if we can stay open. But that's not really enough for the children of God. It's not enough to be what we have been. We always have to look at who we are and what we are going to become. We never graduate from the school of charity, but we can always get closer to becoming more like Christ. So in 2021, when hopefully at some point this year churches reopen fully, we don't reopen in order to go back. We reopen in order to push forward. We reopen as schools of charity, maybe even more mindful that that is who we are and what we are to do. And it is in these schools that we learn to love one another, the real people in the pews with us, the people who are a little odd, maybe a little annoying, and we, we learn to love them so that we can also learn to love strangers and love our enemies. We can only change the perceptions in our society of what it means to be Christian, those weird perceptions that Christians are ignorant people and selfish people and bigoted people. We can only change that perception if we more heartily engage in the idea that our congregations are supposed to be schools of charity. Now, in the last congregation where I worked uh, before I retired, it was this great church. Uh, they really, people really did care for each other. When someone went through a trauma, other people were there for that person. Um, they welcomed everybody equally, just everybody. Uh, they hosted homeless families four weeks a year in this suburban church. And the congregation had been shrinking over the years, and they said, you know what, well, we're shrinking, but we're hanging in, you know, so that's okay. And I think I conveyed to them, you know, pretty directly that they were underachieving, you know. They, they did great things, but they could do so much more. And that the reality is that people in their community, there are people in their community they don't know, who are, would be eager to become part of a school of charity. And here this church was, and it really was, really is, a school of charity. And people really will come if they will just let people know this is what we're doing. If people just learn that this is what this community is doing, more people will want to be a part of it. Now I say all this as somebody, I am no graduate of the School of Charity. <laughs> when I drive, I don't wear my collar because I do not want people to, you know, confuse my behavior on the road with anything God might bless because it is not true. When I watch a football game of two teams that I don't like, I pray for the earth to open and swallow them both up. So I've not really, you know, uh, fully become who I ought to be. And not only that, but I have a really hard time feeling charity for Christians who are so uncharitable and give Jesus a bad name. I have a hard time with that. 
But I also know that I have belonged and will belong to schools of charity. And I have experienced in many moments what I call altar eyes, the kind of eyes with which you see when people come to the altar, when you're giving someone communion or when you come up to receive communion, doesn't matter which side of communion you're on. And you look at people in those moments, you see something different. So even though somebody might be someone who acts out, you see the pain that make, within them that makes them act out. Or if someone is bigoted, you see that this person's really uncomfortable in their own skin. Or people who seem to know it all, and the reality is that tells you they really feel very lost. And when we have these altar eyes, we see people not so much for what they've been, but for who they are, children of God, and for what they will be, they will be like Christ. Now, as it happened when I went to see my friend Bob in the hospice um, in 1999, he lived for another four months uh, before he died, and he decided to go home uh, and be with his family uh, before he died. He was 47. And when I saw him, I could see the burden on his face, you know, the burden of, you know, having lost 40 or 50 pounds and being so weak, uh, the burden of dying, the burden of facing death. Uh, the burden of grieving for his wife and for his teenage children, and the burden as a priest for grieving for his congregation that he couldn't, he couldn't be there for them to take care of them. Um, but at the same time, when he said that, when he said, you know, we will become like him, there was a look in his blue eyes that was a sense, had a sense of adventure, an adventure of what was ahead of him, which was dying and death and becoming more like Christ. So wherever we are in our lives, wherever we are with our convictions, I know it's always daunting to push forward as a congregation or individually. It's always hard. Uh, and yet, at the same time, we are enrolled in a school of charity, and that helps us. And so I hope we can find that same sense of adventure in our eyes and in our hearts. Amen.